0: With you. And I'm gonna be just like Ryan was, was last week. Uh, he kind of said this is gonna be one where we're gonna really need our analog Bibles, like our paper Bibles. Remember when they used to like print things on paper? Uh, if you have a hard copy of God's Word with you, would you grab that and find Luke chapter one this morning? That's where our text is going to be. We're gonna be looking at uh, Ryan looked at the story of Zechariah out of Luke chapter one uh, last week, and this week we're gonna be looking at the story of how Gabriel came to Mary uh, to announce the birth of Jesus. So we'll be there there. Um, in just a second. And again, as I, as I mentioned, Ryan did a great job kicking off our Connected Christmas series uh, last Sunday. And if you did not get a chance yet to uh, to view that sermon, take a moment uh, this week and go back and either listen to it on our podcast uh, or watch it on our video, uh, watch it on video either on our YouTube channel or on our Facebook, uh, our Facebook page, because it was a fantastic uh, message explaining the fact that we connect with God through our obedience. When we are Obedient to God, like Zechariah was, uh, in allowing uh, in naming uh, his son John, just departing from what was normally a traditional thing, uh, and just being obedient to God, you see God do amazing things. And uh, so, I encourage you to go back and, and take a uh, take a look or take a listen to that uh, to that message. Um, our challenge this year, as we were going into Christmas 2020, was going to be how do we adequately um, express the truest message of Christmas in a year that's been very different than anything that we would ever know. We knew kind of coming into Christmas 2020 that it was going to be a different kind of year. Um, For some, it has seemed to be a year that has maybe felt a little hopeless. Maybe you felt some fear at some point or continuing to fear, uh, continuing to feel uh, fear right now. Uh, Or maybe you're feeling uncertainty or something like that. So when we sat down to begin thinking, how are we going to bring the Christmas story this year in a way that addresses the things that we're going through in the year 2020. Because this year we've all been attacked, every one of us, around from every corner of the globe, we've all been attacked by a virus that we, up until just recently, we haven't known any way how to fight other than just try to stay away from one another and to stay as far away from the virus as we can. We've been distanced from each other's presence, we've been divided, and we've seen in our nation, we've seen division and social turmoil take place, we've seen political arguments through the course of a contentious election, some have been faced, and maybe you're sitting there right now thinking, I've been faced with a layoff, I don't know when I'm going to." go back to work. Maybe you are a business owner and you've lost your business because of the financial hardship that's come up uh, through this pandemic and the shutdowns and the closings and all of those types of things. Maybe 2020, you're looking at the end of this year and you're thinking, how fast can I get to the end of this year in hopes that next year will be better? Or maybe you've grown so cynical that you're thinking, I don't know if 2021 is going to be any better either. Just because we turn the page on a calendar doesn't mean that the problems go away. And that's true. But I want to help you understand, and our goal here at Graceway is to help you understand that even in the darkest of places, the light of hope shines through. And his name is Jesus Christ. And that's why I think this. It's easy to say that this is anything but a normal Christmas season. You probably have traditions that you've had to postpone. You have rituals, you have events, get-togethers, family meetings, all those things that maybe this year you're saying, you know what, this year we can't and probably shouldn't do that. And you're thinking, how in the world is Christmas ever going to feel the same this year? But I believe that this unsettling nature of Christmas 2020 has kind of thrust us into this place where we can feel, uh, that we can feel the effects of Christmas's true message just like the original folks in the Christmas story. You see, back in the original days when Zechariah and Mary and Joseph and the wise men and the shepherds were all there, they didn't have Christmas carols. They didn't have rocking around the Christmas tree. They didn't even know what a Christmas tree was at that point. Everything was brand new to them when Jesus showed up. Everything was kind of off kilter, too, in their world. Their world was upside down. Their world had been com- completely and, and, uh, and, and expressly just turned upside down. As Ryan said last week, God went silent for 400 years. And the people were beginning to wonder, where is God? We're going to talk about that a little bit more in just a second. You see, because as Ryan shared from the book of Malachi last week, in Malachi chapter four, the Old Testament, the entire Testament, doesn't end with a happy ending. It ends with this ominous note: that judgment is coming. Judgment is going to fall upon God's people, and the reasons for that were many. The biggest reason for that was because God's people, once again, walked away from God. And because of that, God was going to go silent. But, before, but in the midst of all of that chaos, in the midst of all of that ominous tone that we see in Malachi chapter 4 before the Old Testament wraps up, we see one verse in verse number 2 that Ryan shared last week, and I want to share that again as we dive into our message this week. In Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, he says, "...but for you who fear my name..." Translation is, "...for you who love me, for you who follow me, for you who still look to me as your God, as your Savior, "...for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in his wings." And you will go out and playfully jump around like calves from the stall. Now in 2020, uh, in our kind of like modern society, jumping around like cows in the stall, that doesn't really give us a real positive picture, but back in those days, that meant a lot. It meant that they were carefree. It meant that they were brand new, that they were refreshed and regenerated. And this is what he was saying, in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the struggle and the turmoil, I'm still going to give you a sliver of hope, and that hope comes from me. The Son of Righteousness will one day rise with healing in His wings. And, and here's what we need to understand from that, that this is God's nature for us. That even when things are hard, even things when, when things are hopeless and in desperation, He still provides us with a sliver and a ray and a light of hope. You see, for 400 years after this passage, God would be silent. No more prophets, no more angels, nothing. And in the silence, the people were going to suffer. They became oppressed under the Roman rule, and they became desperate for relief. They began wondering, is there ever going to be a better day for us as God's people? So here's what I like to do. Whenever I get into the stories of Scripture, I like to try to place myself in the story and begin to ask myself, how would I feel if I were living in the middle of the story? So just for a second, I want you to close your eyes if you have to, but imagine yourself in the middle of tyranny. You're you're a Jew back in the days when Jesus came. You're a Jew living in those days of silence. You're living under tyranny. You're watching this land that was supposed to be a land that was gifted to you by Almighty God to his people is now being overrun and overtaken by the Romans. You see, there were centurions walking the streets, tax collectors beating down your door, demanding more money than you had. And if you didn't pay it, they would seize your land, take your farm, close down your business. And there's not a thing that you can do about it. You probably have family members in prison, or worse, for not being able to pay their taxes. You're doing the best that you can to keep hope alive, but to be honest, hope seems impossible. Hope seems a million miles away and just out of reach. You've heard from your family members about a God who used to be very good to your people, and He would wipe out tyrants that rose up and do miraculous things to see His people succeed and prevail over injustice. But you haven't seen a shadow of His presence in centuries. Especially in your lifetime, you haven't seen any evidence that God is there. You begin to feel abandoned. You begin to feel alone. You begin to feel pretty much certain that tomorrow is going to be more of the same, if not worse. You keep clinging, though, because you've been taught to be a good little Jewish person and be faithful that God is still going to come through. So you cling to a sliver of hope from this prophecy from the prophet Isaiah over 700 years ago that says this. In Isaiah 7, 14, he says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive and have a son, and will, and you will, and the, she will name him Emmanuel. Which, as our worship team was talking about just a minute ago, that word Emmanuel, that name is special. Jesus is the most beautiful name that we can utter, but the name of Emmanuel is another, is another name that we give to Jesus, which simply means God is with us. And that's the basis for this series that, we've, that we are bringing out in, in this month of December here in 2020, is that God is still with us in a year that we feel disconnected and uncertain and wondering what God is doing. Understand that God is still Emmanuel, or Jesus is still Emmanuel. He is still God with us. Now put yourself back in that place of that Jewish person living back then, after, during 400 years of silence, and you're thinking, God with me. Yeah, wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't it be nice if I could look out and see that God would finally show up again, that God is actually there? Because to be honest, you're trying to be a good, faithful little Jew, Jewish person. But to be honest, you haven't seen much to have faith in. You haven't seen much proof. You haven't seen many signs around you. You're clinging to hope, but your grasp is getting lighter and weaker, and you feel like you're about to fall off into the abyss of no longer believing that God is there and that hope is possible. You begin to think, is God there? Is he dead? Will we ever see Emmanuel?" So you've been raised right, and you know to worship God, but how do you worship someone who doesn't seem to be working anymore? How do you worship someone who seems to no longer care for you? The question that we all face a lot of times is, how do I worship in the midst of hopelessness? This is where the world was at the time that we get into our text in Luke chapter 1. You see, hearing this and hearing the way the world was at the time Jesus came kind of puts our current circumstances into perspective, I think, a little bit. We may not be living under tyranny, maybe you feel like you are, I don't know, everybody's got opinions on everything these days anymore, but we look around and we see a world that we just don't understand anymore from whatever level it may be, you may be thinking, I don't understand what's going on. I don't see much happening that feels good anymore. There always seems to be something coming along for me to be scared of again. I saw on the news the other day. You know what I saw on the news? I saw on the news the other day that a lot of people now who have been deciding to do Christmas shopping on Amazon and online and having things shipped to their house, the new fear now is you have to open those boxes outside because there's been like pests and rodents and and, and insects and stuff in those boxes. I mean, it's like 2022 just keeps giving to us doesn't it it seems like man what is 2020 gonna when is it ever going to give up and when is it ever going to get better so maybe you might be looking at this and saying the way I feel right now probably more than any other time in my life I can actually relate to those people back in those days I can relate to Mary I can relate to Joseph I can relate to the people in the world under Roman rule and under Roman tyranny because I don't know what tomorrow may bring maybe that's where you are But you know what the beautiful thing is, is that even in a year like it's been, we've seen people around here, and like Ryan shared last week his personal testimony about how they've seen good things happen within their family as they're expecting a child that they have have tried and prayed that would be able to happen over years. I mean, good things are still happening around us so that's something that we need to remember, it kind of puts things in perspective, that even in the midst of what seems like global misunderstanding, global uncertainty, there's still those rays and those lights of hope, those examples of God's goodness that are still there, and that's what we need to focus on. Because God is with us. He's with us. But you see, this year, this Christmas, it's not going to be found in the traditions it's not going to be found in that this is what we normally do. There's some things at Christmas time that I've loved ever since I was a kid. And some of those things are being affected this year. But you know what? The biggest reason for Christmas will never be affected. The biggest reason that we celebrate cannot be affected by the things that are going on around us right now because he sits enthroned above all of that. He sits high and lifted up and his name is Jesus Christ. See, here's the big idea this morning. Just like last week, the big idea was we we connect with what God is doing when we are obedient in His plan. The next thing we see and what we're going to see in Luke this morning is that we can truly worship Jesus in any state when we connect with the presence of Christ. We can truly worship in any state when we connect with the presence of Jesus Christ, the continual presence. So this morning, I want to look at Luke chapter 1, and beginning in verse number 26, we're going to look at the story of Mary when she finds out. This, this, this sweet little girl who's engaged to a guy named Joseph in Nazareth gets a visit from an angel to find out that she's going to carry the Messiah. And the first thing that we have to understand about worship and why we should worship Jesus in any state is the first reason is that because God has promised that he is always there. God has promised that he is always there. And let's look at verse number 26. It says, In the sixth month... Now, what it's talking about, this is a continuation from what Ryan preached on last Sunday with Zechariah and Elizabeth and the birth of John the Baptist. There's this parenthetical point where it shifts the scenes from Zechariah and Elizabeth and then it shifts scenes over to Mary. And so Mary, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, she gets a visit from Gabriel. Because in the sixth month, and basically it's in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth. And was sent to a virgin who was engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, you favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. And then the angel told her, and I have this underlined and highlighted and circled in my Bible, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. I love what the angel says there. Do not be afraid. See, there are three things that his presence promises to us. Right here, imagine this. You're you're Mary. Gabriel shows up. This angel shows up to her. I don't know if she's out in the fields. I don't know if she's just walking along, just going about her daily work. Maybe she's going to get in some water, which was a typical job for the young women in the town. Maybe she was going to get the water for her family that day from the well. I don't know what it was, but Gabriel shows up to Mary and to Mary alone. And he says, hey, how you doing, basically? And this is not something that happens every day. Angels don't show up to people every day. Remember this was after, this was during 400 years of silence and God has now only broken his silence to two people in the entire world. First to Zachariah in Luke chapter one and now to Mary. Later on he's going to come and talk to Joseph as well. It's almost like the angels on this covert mission to let just a couple of key people in on the plan that is about to take place. And So Gabriel shows up to Mary and she's like, what is going on here? These messages are, not only mess- are the only messages from God in the last 400 years. And Gabriel gives Mary three comforting promises that we have to notice and we have to take heart for ourselves. The first thing he says is in verse number 28. He reminds her and he comforts her with this promise that God is with you. It says, and the angel came and said to her, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. And immediately for Mary, who'd been raised in the Jewish tradition, her mind would immediately compute and go back to Isaiah seven fourteen and remember that 700-year-old pros- prophecy that someone would conceive and would bear a child and name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God is with me. Immediately her mind is starting to work and hope is beginning to rise. What we learn from this is that there is hope and comfort in the knowledge of God's presence. The second thing that he says to her in verse number 28 is that God is for you. He comes and he calls Mary a favored woman. What that basically means is that God sees her. That God knows her. That God understands her. Now imagine you've been living for 400 years with no connection to God. And all of a sudden an angel shows up and says, God sees you, Mary. Here's a, here's a girl engaged to a carpenter, blue-collar, sitting in Nazareth, this small little town, not much to think about. Later on, they're going to make fun of Jesus for coming from Nazareth, saying, is there anything good that comes out of that city? And all of a sudden, this angel is sent from God to this girl and says, you're favored. I see you. I see you and I love you and I have a plan for you. And this is something we have to take to heart is that God sees us right now. He sees us at every moment of the day. He sees us. He catches our tears. He knows the number of hairs on our head. He sees us and he's for us. And then he says in verse number 30, he says, don't be afraid. This is another thing that comes from the presence of God. Is that in the presence of God, we don't have to fear anything but God. In the presence of God, we don't have to fear anything but him. Over 360 times in the Bible, God says, don't be afraid. And every time that phrase is there, don't be afraid, it is immediately connected to something that teaches us about the nature, the power, and the majesty of God. Because in the presence of God, all fears melt away. See, these are precious promises that will carry Mary through her life because her life is not going to be very easy immediately if she begins to show people are going to start talking and people are going to have problems and she knows that her, uh, her soon-to-be husband is probably going to have some questions when she goes back and says that she's pregnant and it's going to be all, all kinds of hard for her. And so she's going to need a deepened faith and no doubt she's probably afraid of what she's hearing and what she's going to go through. But God gives her comfort through that and says, don't be afraid. See, these are promises that we can take with us today as well. We, not, we may not be Mary, but we have a lot of Mary in us. We are a lot like Mary in the fact that we need to know that God is with us. Jesus us a, promises us this through the book of Hebrews chapter 3, verse 15. God tells us, I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. He tells us that he is for us so many times, but in Romans chapter 8, verse 31, he says, What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who in the world can be against us? And again, 360 plus times in the Bible, he says, do not be afraid. We're told that we can be confidently courageous in the promises of the presence of God. And see, because he's there, he's always working on us. Let's look on in the story in verse number 31. So after all this has happened, after the greeting that gives Mary comfort and begins to bolster her, in verse number 31, he begins to go on with what's gonna take place. He says, now listen, Mary. You're going to conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He'll be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And then Mary asked the angel, how can this be? Since I have not had sexual relations with a man. And the angel replied to her and says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and therefore the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. So what we see here is, after the greeting, and after Mary is finally kind of caught up to what's going on, the shock is beginning to wear off, the angel goes on to start telling her what's going to happen. You're going to give birth to the Messiah. And then all of a sudden, she pops up, and she has one problem. She's like, "Um, I need to point out the obvious. I'm a virgin. See, virgins don't have babies, and so Mary begins to, to uh, explain that there's an obstacle in the way, so Gabriel explains that she's going to carry the baby that the Holy Spirit will miraculously give her. You see, this is necessary to happen because for Christ to come through the seed of man would mean that he would pass on a sin nature to us, and he couldn't be our Savior. But because Jesus was born not of man, but of God, he is our sinless and spotless Savior, the only one that we can trust in to be our sacrificial lamb. But as Ryan mentioned last week, this gives us the answer to the Christmas song. You know that, remember that song, Mary, Did You Know? Everybody, I was asking, you know, Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day rule creation? Well, here's the answer. Yes, she knew. The angel told her right there in the passage. There it is. So the answer to the question has been made. It doesn't mean the song isn't any good. It's a good song. But it let it point it back you to the script. Let it point, it point you back to the scripture. Okay? But yes, Mary knew. Gabriel told her. She kind of knew all along she was in on it. She'd been read in on the plan. So let's look on in the passage. Maybe Mary is still struggling to comprehend all of this. So in verse number 36, he presents evidence of God's ability to do the impossible because she's sitting here saying it's impossible for this to happen. And, God, and basically, she's saying, basically what he's saying is God deals in impossibilities. And in verse number 36, he says, Consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. For nothing shall be impossible with God. I've got verse number 37 circled and highlighted in my Bible too. I love the promise that we get here. Nothing shall be impossible with God. Isn't that nice to know in the middle of a a weird year? Of a year where we think, man, I don't know what's going to come and I don't know how I'm going to deal with it. Deal with it with God because nothing is impossible with him So the application that we get from that is that because God is there, he's always working. And there is nothing that can stand in the way of what God is working to do. See, even in 2020, God's with us. Even in 2020, he's working. Even in 2020, in a pandemic, in financial hardship, in social division, God is working. And nothing is big enough, nothing is large enough to stifle God God and what he wants to do when he wants to do it. And I love the fact that in a year when it seems like everything is canceled, everything is shut down, and everybody's afraid, you cannot cancel what God is doing. I love the, uh, the stories of, of Narnia, and I love the line when they say, in the line, the witch, in the wardrobe, and the snow begins to melt because the witch's rule is beginning to melt away, and the little badger looks at Lucy and says, Aslan is on the move. Remember that our Aslan, our lion, the lion of Judah, is always on the move. He's not taking a rest. He's not sitting around just just turning his eyes and thinking about something else. His eyes are on us. He's for us, and he's continuing to move. Trust him and his move. So we see that Mary's response to all of this is a lot like Zechariah. She gets obedient to him, and in verse number 38, we see, "'See, I'm the Lord's servant,' said Mary." May it happen unto me as you have said. And I love the way the King James renders it. It says, let it be unto me as according to your word. And then the angel left her. This is the best response that we can have when God is moving. May it be unto us according to your word. So then we see Mary leave Nazareth and go to visit her cousin Elizabeth in verse number 39. It says, In those days Mary set out and hurried into a town in the hill country of Judah, where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby that was inside of her leaped. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among all women. Your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For you see, when the sound of, my Lord, when the sound of, my, of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside of me. Blessed is she who has believed, and the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. See, Mary's visit, he, she goes to visit Elizabeth. It had a threefold purpose, I think. Why did Mary, all of a sudden, after finding out she's pregnant, or going to be pregnant with a baby, why does she go and visit her cousin? Well, the reason, I think, is because Mary's faith needed to be strengthened. See, a lot of times we look at Mary and we build her up as though she is some sort of like superhuman kind of person. She was highly favored of God, but she was still just like us. She needed her faith strengthened. So to see Elizabeth also be blessed with this miraculous pregnancy, just like Gabriel had said, was something that would be used to bolster Mary's faith, and for us, to see other people being strengthened in their faith and seeing God working in their lives should help to bolster our faith as well. I think another reason, and this is just a practical reason that Mary went to visit Elizabeth, was to help Elizabeth in her last trimester of pregnancy. Mary stayed and helped her and almost midwifed during the delivery and everything, too. Now, imagine how difficult it must have been for Elizabeth, as an elderly woman, to carry in a high-risk pregnancy to carry this baby, but then also to carry this baby with a mute husband that could not speak, because remember, Zechariah was not given the ability to speak until John was actually born uh, there. And then I think the other reason was to give Mary a place of spiritual comfort and encouragement. You see, nobody was going to celebrate and understand what God was doing in Mary more than Zechariah and Elizabeth were, because they had seen the impossible take place within them as well. And I think this teaches us something that is very, very important, because I believe this is a vital part of Mary's preparation for being the mother of Jesus. I think God got her to a place where she could be discipled and affirmed in her faith and prepare her for the journey that she would walk. See, we're more prone to greater faith when we connect with an affirming community around us. This is why discipleship is important. It's why uh, we aren't meant to go it alone, and that's why God is with us, but he also puts us around people that God is with as well to affirm us in our faith and to help to encourage us in that and to support us through prayer and through Bible study and through all, all kinds of things to spiritually bolster us in our journey in faith. So here's a question that we have to ask ourselves this morning. Is the community that I am currently in, is it affirming and supportive of my growing faith? Are you in a community that is supportive and helping you to grow in your faith? And by that I mean, are you involved in a church? And I know right now involvement, the word involvement has a weird definition during this time. You say, That's, I said, it's really weird for you to say that in a time when we're sitting here and we're virtually worshiping. Even from a virtual place, we can still disciple one another. We can still check in on somebody. We can still send a note of encouragement. We can still send a text with a, a verse that helps somebody out. I have found personally that as a pastor, I've grown in my ability to connect with people through this because I've been forced to. I haven't, had, I haven't been able to just wait for a lot of times to say, I'll see that person on Sunday and I'll talk to them. I have to pick up the phone or I have to pick up a postcard or something like that and talk. And I think that through this we need to learn that God still works even from a distance. God puts us into a community with one another to disciple each other. And the question that we pull from this and the way we apply this to ourselves is, what kind of community am I in and am I being involved in? I firmly believe that if Mary had just isolated herself, she would have struggled greatly through this process of caring Jesus as the Messiah. The other thing we see, and this is where we get to the worship side of this, is that John, the baby in the belly, starts like doing flip-flops when, when Mary walks in, right? Um, and, and, and it's, it's awesome. Mary, Elizabeth tells Mary when she enters the room that the baby in her belly starts leaping. Now, if you've been a mom before, you know that feeling when the baby starts to move in your belly. It's a, I've been told it's an experience. It doesn't feel like anything else. I don't know anything about it, uh, but I do know that when, when Stacy was carrying the girls uh, that I would kind of put my hand on her belly and I would feel the babies kicking. I'd feel them moving around and everything, and it was awesome. I can only imagine, moms, how you feel there. So as soon as Mary walks into the room Baby John starts jumping up and down and leaping, and this is why I don't think that we've given him the proper name of John the Baptist. Because as a Baptist, he would not be dancing like this. Um, you know, this I don't think John was necessarily, he may have baptized like we do, but he definitely didn't dance like we, well, he danced and we're not supposed to do that. By the way, if I get to heaven and find out it was okay to dance, I'm gonna be mad at somebody. So anyway, <clears throat> babies move for different reasons. The reason that John the Baptist moved was because he sensed the joy of the moment, that as Mary walks into the room, Jesus is present. We don't know if if Mary is necessarily carrying Jesus at this moment, but just the idea and the thought that God is with us began to bring joy to that room. And what we get from this is that it should bring us great and consuming joy when we become aware of the presence of Christ. This is what fuels our true worship. When we're aware of the presence and the power and the goodness of God, that fuels our true worship. God says, worship in spirit and in truth. What that means is I can't manufacture worship. I can't just conjure something up and write this cool song and all of a sudden everybody's brought closer to Jesus. God may use that as a tool, but it's the presence of Jesus that draws us closer to him and the presence of his spirit. I truly believe that nobody can be unmoved by the person of Jesus Christ. He demands a response. You either accept him, you reject him, or you look at him and say, I'll wait. But no one can look apathetically at Jesus. He demands a response. So the question this morning is what's your response to Christ? And then we see that the worship, after hearing what it had done to the baby, and after hearing that, Mary, uh, that Elizabeth had been filled with the Spirit, it turned into this like praise session, and then it became infectious, and Mary began to praise God as well in verses 46 through 47. When she said, Mary said, My soul praises the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, because He has looked with favor upon the humble condition. In the New Testament age, we have the presence of God inside of us through the Holy Spirit, which should ignite and fuel our worship. You see, Mary is the living example of worship that comes from the Spirit living inside of us, because she literally has Jesus living inside of her at this point. And so she is worship is coming from the inside out, not from the outside in. But you see, so often I find myself, and I know that I find my spirit of worship hindered by what's going on outside of me and what's going on around me. Maybe it's a bad week. Maybe it's an argument that I had, or maybe somebody's not happy within the church, or, or something is going on, and I feel like sometimes my worship can be affected by that, but the truth is true worship is not affected by outside circumstances. Our truest worship is fueled by the presence of Christ in us. So even in the midst of 2020, our worship doesn't need to be affected. Our spirit of worship True worship is fueled by the presence of Christ. So what are you depending on to fuel your worship? It's Because it's easy to let all the stuff impact it. It's easy to look back and say, man, Christmas is going to be different. And that very well may be true, but the Christ of Christmas remains the same. He is still Emmanuel. He is still God with us. Some traditions, some rituals about this season may have changed for you personally in your family, but the reason never will. Jesus is Emmanuel. So the question that we have is, what causes me to be aware of Jesus? Let me ask you this. Has there been anything recently, as you look around, has there been anything recently that has drawn you away from his presence? Ask yourself this. I can tell you point blank and with full transparency, yeah. There's been some things this year that have, like Ryan said, and he confessed last week, he's like, yeah, I've kind of become cynical, more cynical than I should. I've, I've become kind of, I'm, I'm a melancholic kind of personality anyway, and uh, I can really easily in my flesh let the circumstances around me begin, begin to dictate everything about me. And that's been a battle that I've had to try to fight and still fighting every day. But the truth is that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with me, and in his presence, everything else begins to make sense. Everything else begins to fade away. In his presence, there is reason to worship. In his presence, there is reason to have joy. In his presence, there's beauty. So focus upon his presence. And so you may be saying as we close out this morning and as we get ready to kind of go to a time of response and invitation, the question is, well, what should I praise him for? Sure, Mary had a reason to praise Him because she was getting ready to carry the Messiah. Sure, Elizabeth had a reason to praise Him because she was carrying a baby in her old age. This is all, I mean, they're seeing the evidence of God working, but right now, Pastor, when I look around, I don't see the evidence. Maybe you do, and you have a reason to praise. But some of you may be watching right now, and you don't feel like, I don't have a reason. So what do I praise Him for when I don't see the things around me? Well, the first thing we have to understand is, what praise and worship really is. Look what she says in verse number 46. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. This is a good definition of what worship really is. Worship is a magnification of God within our lives. It's putting everything else in perspective and putting God on the throne above all of it. That's what we do when we worship Him. And that doesn't just take place on Sunday morning during a song or two. Worship is everyday activity in our lives. When God is on the throne and when God is in our minds and in our hearts, in our souls, above and beyond all of those things, we are in a place of true worship. Worship magnifies God in our lives. It doesn't minimize him. So what should I worship? Mary, after saying that, magnifies God. All of a sudden, things begin to well up inside of her that she begins to just spout out and say how good God is. And here's the list. In verse number 48, it says, Because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant, surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, because the Mighty One has done great things for me, and his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. I want to give you a list of things that we can still praise God for from Mary right here, from Mary's testimony. When it says that he looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant, to a lot of people, Mary was just an unassuming little girl. But to God, she was a humble servant with a heart that was set on pleasing him. Something about her made God look favorably on her, and what that tells us is He sees beyond all of our fronts. He sees beyond the show that we try to put on. He sees beyond the masks that we wear, trying to say that we're okay when we're not, or trying to put on uh, put on these airs that we sometimes do when it comes to church, when it comes to being a Christian in modern day America. God sees you, and he, sees the, and he looks upon the humble condition of our hearts. He knows you, and he sees you. So if you're sitting there thinking right now, no one sees me. I feel isolated and alone. I say upon the authority of God's word, you are not alone. There is a God who created you, and he loves you, and he cares for you, and he sent Jesus to be your Emmanuel, to be God with you for all of eternity. That's something to worship and to praise him for. Then she says, the mighty one has done great things for me in verse number 49. Although Mary is shocked and probably uncertain, she's excited that God has chosen to use her. And then he says, or she says, he's done great things for me. Here's another reason to worship Jesus in the Christmas season. is because he is a personal Savior. A personal Savior. He doesn't just want to work on a global scale. He works individually in each heart and life. He knows you inside and out. He deserves our worship for that. And then it says in verse number 49 that he is holy. He is everything good that we cannot be on our own. In verse 50 it says his mercy is from generation to generation. Mary begins to think back on her heritage and all the things that she knows about how God had faithfully delivered her people through the centuries and she realizes that he's about to do it again through Jesus. This tells us that God is eternally faithful to his creation. There's not a moment in your life, there's not a moment through history, That God has not been faithful. There may be times when we looked for evidence and thought that He could have been faithful at this very moment and it would have meant more to us. But God always works perfectly in His time and in His wisdom. He is perfectly and eternally faithful to us. So trust Him. Then it says in verse number 51 He scattered the proud, He toppled the mighty, He exalted the lowly, He satisfies the hungry. Mary looks back on history again to prove and praise God's faithfulness and also his sense of justice. See, we must never forget that the God we worship, the Savior that we follow, is just. He is justice in himself, and his justice will prevail in his time. He opposes the proud and those who trust in their own strength and in their might, and he attends to the lowly and the needy, those who are aware of their need for him. The question that we have to ask ourselves is, as we look at this spirit and where her worship came from is do we have that same attitude? Are you approaching Jesus in pride or are you approaching him in desperate pursuit? That's the question I want to close with this morning as we go to our time of invitation. Are you approaching him in pride or are you approaching him in a desperate pursuit? See, our worship is minimized when we address Him in pride. When we come in in a gathering, or when we when we listen, or when we uh, when we hear a sermon, and we think, "Well, I hope there's something in it for me today." Trust me, every time the Word of God is open, it is time for His people to eat. Every time, the humble heart is tuned into worship. The prideful heart will always oppose the presence of Jesus. And that's the question we have. If we want to truly worship Christ this Christmas, we need to really connect with his presence. And he is not holding himself at a distance. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. She said he helped Israel. He remembered his mercy to Abraham and to his descendants. What we understand is God takes care of his own. God takes care of his own. Just as God is taken care of his people through the Bible, Egypt, through Babylon, through Roman captivity, he will take care of his people today. So whatever captivity you may feel like you're under, whatever oppression, whatever struggles you may be facing this Christmas season, whatever it is you may be going through, understand this, God is there, and he is worthy of our worship, and his worship is best fueled when we are connected to his presence. See, our series has been called A Connected Christmas, and I know that this year it doesn't seem like it's as connected as it has been in the past. Many of you forgoing traditions and get-togethers and all of those things, but that may not be a bad thing because when we simplify things and we bring things down and we strip away all that stuff, we still find the reason for Christmas that God became man and He came to be God with us. And in His presence... We find so much. We find more gifts than we could ever imagine. So the question this morning is, as we close out, as Hannah begins to lead towards a time of invitation, is Jesus present in my life? Ask yourself this question right now. Is Jesus present in my life? And by that I mean, do you know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Has there been a time in your life when you said and called out to God and said, God... Be merciful to me, a sinner. I need you as my Savior. You see, there's a personal time of silence that exists in our life until we come to him as a Savior to receive him. The question this morning is, have you trusted Christ as your Savior? If you have not, let today be the day of salvation. Let today be the day that you call upon him and say, Lord, be my Savior. repent of my sins and I ask you to be my savior to be my personal Emmanuel to be with me forever see God is or Jesus is Emmanuel he is God with us but he won't be with us against our will we have to receive him just as Mary said let it be done to me according to your word we have to receive the gift of Jesus personally as well so are you willing to say this morning Lord let it be done unto me according to your word I trust you as my savior I follow you Save me today. The second question that we have is for those who know Christ, but maybe you've been living kind of with this idea and attitude that Jesus isn't there anymore. Nothing could be further from the truth. That's what the enemy wants us to think, but see, nothing can stifle Emmanuel. Nothing can stop Emmanuel from coming to be with us. Nothing could stop him back then, and nothing stops him from being with us today. So are you living in light of his presence? If not, come back to that. Be aware of his presence again today. Thank you for listening today. At Graceway, our strongest desire is to glorify Christ by telling everyone about his grace. If you have questions or are in need of spiritual help, please reach out to us by visiting www.gracewaylex.org and click on the Contact Us section. Or you can email us at gracewaylex@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Our worship services are held each Sunday at 1030 a.m. We'd love to worship with you this week. Until next time, take care and walk in the way of grace.